I'm gonna go ahead and tell you right now, after this sermon, after this worship service, you need to go listen to that song again, because that's what we're talking about today, y'all. Love, like the sky, so wild. Man, I tell you what, right now, God is good all the time, all the time, God is good. Let's try again. God is good all the time, all the time, God is good, amen. Will you go with me to the book of 2 Kings? I'm on fire this morning, y'all. I can't slow down already, I'm just, woo. Y'all, I'm becoming more and more comfortable here, which is dangerous, which is dangerous. You never know what I'm going to say, how fast I'm going to go. I will try not to go too fast. I know, I know. You can say that. It won't hurt my feelings. Slow down. Slow down. Second Kings, chapter 5. Chapter 5, starting verse 1. It's right here on the screen. You can read it with me. It is not in your bulletin today. There is another scripture in your bulletin. We'll get to that later. Lots of Bible today. I love the Bible. You should too. So here we go, 2 Kings. Now, Naaman was the commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him, the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now, bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served, as Naaman, she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria He would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. The letter that he took with him to the king of Israel, it read like this. With this letter, I'm sending my main servant, Naaman, so that you may cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, am I God? Can I kill and bring back life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he is trying to quarrel with me. When Elijah, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me and he will know that there's a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and his chariots, and he stopped at the door of Elijah's house. Elijah sent out his messenger to say to him, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry, and he said, I thought that he would surely come out, and he'd come to me, and he'd stand and call in the name of the Lord his God, and he'd wave his hand over my spot, and he would cure my leprosy. Our Are not Abana and Farfara, the rivers of Damascus, better than the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned off and went in rage. But Naaman's servant went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, you'd have done it. How much more then when he tells you just wash and you'll be cleansed? So he went down. He dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him to do. And his flesh became restored, clean like that of a young boy. This is the word of God for the people of God. And together we say, thanks be to God. This story's a little bit longer today, but there's a lot going on in it. I think it's really going to be helpful for us as we close out our series called Life Together. For the past four weeks, we've been journeying together through this series about community about what it means to be in life together, to be supporting one another, to, to shoulder each other's burdens. We talked about the importance of community in that first week. Second week, we really talked about solitude and how our days apart and spending time with the Lord alone informs our days together. Last week, we talked about what it means to be people in ministry. And today is, is gonna get us. 
I want us to talk about what it means to be a people of confession. Confession. Scary stuff, all right? This is, I know it's Halloween's over, but we're about to get deep. So will you pray with me? Lord, may the words of, your mouth, of my mouth and meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, our strength and our redeemer. We thank you for your word. May it always be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Amen. Amen. You know what I hate? I hate it when I find out I'm wrong. I hate being told I'm wrong. You know, I've been kind of confessional in this series because we're leading up to this sermon about confession and I told you, you know, I'm not the most humble person. I confess that. I'm not good at directions. Confess that. I confess I hate being wrong and I hate it whenever, like, being wrong is so easily recognized from the other side. Like, whenever you realize how wrong you were, you're like, how did I ever think that way? Why did I ever get to that place? It's so, such an easy thing that I missed. Um, for example, like most stubborn men in this world, I believe instructions for assembling products are simply extra padding in a box to keep it from breaking. I don't actually know what they're good for because they're these papers that I'm not gonna read if Brianna purchased something from Target, I'm gonna put it together just, you know, by looking at the box on the picture, the picture on the box, and, and then, you know, because I'm gonna use my intuitive masculinity because, you know, I'm a dude, and I can just put things together because that's a gift God gave me because I'm a dude. Until about two hours later, it's in more parts than it came in, and I've lost half of them, and Brianna's like, couldn't you just read the instructions? It's like, it'd be real simple if you just took the advice that the box gave you. I'm even worse than that. One time, actually, I saw on Pinterest, yeah, I Pinterest, not ashamed to admit it. I saw on Pinterest these shelves that are real cool, like you put in these crates in there, it's like three levels. I was like, I'm gonna make that for Brianna. You know what, I'm gonna build something. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be a, Jesus was a carpenter, and I know Jesus, so I got it. That's all the training I need. So instead of like downloading the instructions again from Pinterest, I just decided, all right, I see the picture, I'll go buy some wood. And that's all I did. I went Bought some, because that's what you do, right? You just buy some wood, some screws. They gave me a drill a couple years ago. I've never used it. And so, I'm, y'all, I'm the least handy person there is. I'm just gonna be honest. So I try to pull this wood together and these screws, and I don't look up the instructions on Pinterest. I'm just putting things together. I'm like, how hard can it be? And then all of a sudden, I didn't use a level. And this thing, it looked like this. And I was like, well, it's a little off. It's a little off. And so I try to slide the crates in there, and they don't fit. And Brianna's like, she's trying to be real nice. <laughs> she loves me. And she's like, it looks real good. I promise I like it. <laughs> Y'all, it, it was a haphazard mess. It looked like a little kid took a big, bunch of big old Lincoln logs and just put them in a pile and said, here you go, babe. <laughs> like, that was my ability to build things. The worst thing, though, like, one of the worst things that happened, like, it was just simple, just use these instructions. Or, or I realized I was very wrong. I missed something very simple. It was one time, Brianna and I thought we lost a $7,000 check. Yeah, and... I had sold my car um, because I lived near Huntingdon where I worked and, and we, lived, um, we, we lived near the church that we went to a lot where my sister worked. And so I didn't drive very much. And when we did, um, we just took one car. And so we decided we'd save that money until we're ready to buy you know, a family car. That's the one we have now, a Honda Pilot. Um, and so we, 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 put, we were gonna put the money in the bank, but I waited a couple days. And I was like, hey, Brianna, where's that check? She goes, um... I think I put it in your bedside table. I was like, no, it's not there. And so she's like, okay, well, maybe um, it's somewhere else. Have you checked, you know, have you, have you checked 
I don't know, the kitchen. And so I go to the kitchen, it's not there. And this is not like, you can think, well, if you just lost it, you can just get those people to write you another one, right? Just rip it up. Well, what happened was this person who bought it, they, they, they signed over their insurance claim check to us. And we had to go to the bank and do like thumbprints and like two forms of ID. So there's like no way to get another check. So if we lose this check, we just lose this $7,000. And so after we realize it's not in the first couple of places, we kind of get that anxiety. Have you ever like been stressed out in the same room, but you haven't like said it? Have you ever felt that tension between a significant other or a spouse or a loved one? And you're not like yelling at the other person, but, but you kind of are. And so we start searching everywhere and panic is setting in. And I'm like, I'm, she's going through the laundry. I'm looking through the car. She's tearing apart the dog beds. Our dog Cooper thinks we're playing this game called Let's Tear Up the House. And he starts grabbing all his toys and like throwing them everywhere. And after a few minutes, our whole, be, our, whole, um, our whole den looks like a boy's dorm room. There's just stuff everywhere. The whole house is torn apart. And we're like, all right, let's retrace trace our steps. Where, where might have we missed it? And I guess where it was. It was in my bedside drawer. <laughs> the first place she told me to look, and I was like, no, it's not there. Not gonna be there. I didn't even bother like looking deep. I just like opened it up. No, it's not there. It was right there. It was right in front of me. The one place I needed to look, that was the most obvious, the most simple, I wasn't willing to. I had to do other things. I feel like Naaman experienced a little bit of that in our story today. He had this bit of stubbornness towards the end of the scene from our text. I wanna tell you a little bit about our text, because it kind of comes out of nowhere for us today. It wasn't necessarily on your radar that we're going to be reading from Second Kings. You did not probably come in prepared to hear about the Armians. Um, and so our story this morning, Naaman is the commander of Aram's army. And just so you know, the Arameans, are, they were the bad guys. They were like the antagonists. They were not the protagonists. Israelites are the protagonists. They're the good guys, the heroes. And the Arameans, they had just recently defeated Israel in battle. In fact, they were led in battle against the Israelites by none other than Naaman, the main character of our story. Naaman has killed Israelites, God's chosen people. And so Naaman, um, he, he was this big deal in Aram. The, the scripture said he was a man of high favor, but he also had leprosy. After all these battles had happened, you know, they, the Arameans had conquered Israel, and, and Aram, um, in Aram, Naaman found out he has leprosy. And leprosy in this time is pretty much a death sentence. There's no cure for it. And worse than just the dying part of it, you were sent away from your friends and family. You had to go live in a colony. You, had to, you couldn't be, you were considered unclean. You couldn't go out in public. And so you can imagine how Naaman must have felt when he got this diagnosis, and he, he found out he had this disease, and that he was going to be away from everyone he loved, and he probably went to all the best doctors in Aram, and, and none of them were able to help him. I bet upon hearing his diagnosis, he's just broken. Like, can you imagine get, being in this time, getting this diagnosis, and knowing you can't be with your friends and family? It's one, bad enough to realize you have a terminal disease that Naaman is experiencing, but to go through that alone would be terrifying. And so Naaman has this disease, but this servant girl of his wife says, hey, I've got an idea. You should go to Israel, which is funny because they just conquered Israel. And the crazy thing about this is this is an Israelite girl who was taken slave by Naaman and his people. So if anybody should hate Naaman, it should be this girl. But she's like, hey, I've got a great idea. Why don't you go to Israel. It's so surprising that she's so willing to offer up, you know, a helpful suggestion. 
So Naaman, he goes and tells the, kings what the, the king what the girl said, the king of Aram. And, and the king says, okay, I'll send you to the king of Israel, the people we just defeated. Well, it's just, isn't, this, isn't this a strange story? The instruction of the king of Aram from Naaman to go destroy the Israelites, they're destroyed, Naaman gets diagnosed with a disease and then finds out he has to go to the Israel, so he has to go back to the king of Aram and ask for permission to go to the king of Israel that they just defeated. So he, this is a, a, a strange experience, a strange encounter, but he goes to Israel with his people and his chariots and they take all this gold and, and these clothes and, and he says to, um, he sends them with this letter and the letter says, when this letter reaches you, O king of Israel, know that I've sent you my servant Naaman that you may cure him of his leprosy. He doesn't mention anything in the letter about a prophet or anything like that. It just says, you're supposed to cure him of this terminal disease. And so when they get to the king of Israel, he says, am I God? Like, can I give death or life? This man sends me a word to cure a man of leprosy? Just look how quickly he's trying to pick a quarrel with me. The king of Israel, he thinks that the king of Aram is trying to figure out a way to like finish the job. He's sending him an impossible task. He's saying, cure something that is incurable. We heard that um, you could do this. And the king knows nothing about any prophets, so he tears his clothes, which is a sign of like dismay and like fear and sadness. And he tears his clothes and he says, oh, who am I? I can't give life. They're surely gonna come and kill us all and finish the job. And then Elijah hears something has happened. He hears about this whole encounter. And Elijah is a prophet. Elisha is a prophet. And he says, King, why have you torn your clothes? Chill out. Send me Naaman that he may learn that there's a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with all of his horses and all of his chariots, and they pull up to this modest dwelling, not some lavish house, not some mansion. They pull up to Elisha's house, and Elisha didn't even come outside. He sends out his servant, and it says, the servant tells him, go wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh will be restored. And instead of being like, okay, cool, I'm gonna go try something. Naaman's like mad. He's furious. Elisha sends his prophet, his messenger, tells him what to do, and Naaman's like, no, that is silly. I'm not gonna do that. He is furious. He's mad for a couple reasons. The first reason he's mad is because Elisha would not even come out and see him. This is Naaman. He's a big deal. I, hey, everybody, come see how good I look. I'm Naaman. I'm kind of a big deal. Elisha can't even come out of his tent to see him. And so Naaman's pride first says, this dude doesn't even know what he's talking about. He's not even willing to come out of his tent to see me. He's also mad because he is told to do something that he was not expecting. See, Naaman had in his mind, and this is kind of our key for us today. I want you to think about this. Naaman had in his mind how he felt like he should be healed. He was mad that Elisha did not come out and wave his magic god wand over the spot of leprosy and get rid of it, right? That's what he said. Weren't you supposed to come out and wave your hand and like get rid of it like over this spot? Naaman knew how he thought he should be healed, and Elisha did not conform to that. The way God wanted to provide that healing was not what Naaman expected, and so he did not trust it. He did not believe it. He did not buy into it. He said, no, you're not doing it the way you're supposed to do it, Elisha. He's also mad because the the solution he gave him seemed so simple. I mean, he's gone to all the doctors in Aram, right? He's gone to all the people, the physicians who can help him. Naaman is trying to figure out how to, do, how to, how to be healed, and he's gone to all these, and what does Elisha tell him to do? Go take a bath. 
Like, that's what we tell our kids in the evenings, right? You just go take a bath. Brianna's telling me that. Go take a bath. Well, showers. I'm taking a bath since I was a kid. But, and so he tells them, go bathe seven times in the Jordan. Not only is he mad that he's telling them to go take a bath, but he's like, the Jordan is not any better than the two rivers we have. Why should I go wash in your rivers? Y'all's rivers are nasty. We're going, like, we've got better water. He's so mad, he leaves. He storms off. He's going away. Thankfully, though, Naaman has somebody in his life to speak a word to help him think through what he is doing. He says, Master, if the prophet had commanded you to do something difficult, wouldn't you have done it? If he gave you an impossible task, you would have taken that on. But he asked you to do something very simple. So why not at least try it? And so Naaman did. He went down to the Jordan he washed seven times, and guess what happened? His flesh was made well. He was healed. I can't help but think about this text in light of our last chapter in life together and the idea of confession. And confession in, in two areas. Confession to God and confession to our sisters and our brothers. Confession to one another. Because I think we can all identify with the story of Naaman if you think about it. Naaman is a very prideful person, but Naaman's also a very broken person. We're all broken people. We've all experienced brokenness in our life. Naaman was like the man in Aram, right? He was, he was the king's guy. He was the champion. Everybody loved him. A lot of us like playing the part of perfection, do we not? We like to be the person. The man, the girl, the woman, like we are it. Everybody look how we've got it all put together. When people ask us, hey, how's it going? We're like, good, I'm good. How many times has somebody shaking your hand this morning and you said, and they say, how you doing? Like, oh, well, everything's good. Or busy, you said busy a lot. That's our other popular phrase. How you doing? I'm good, just busy. Lots of good things going on. Just, I'm good, I'm just busy. And we say these things out loud, but inside, often we're just broken. On the front, we might be telling people, hey, everything's all good, I'm, I'm perfect, picture of perfection, but I'm hurting internally, I'm lonely, I'm depressed, I'm fearful. Have you ever been there? Have, have you ever given a picture of perfection that was hollow? It doesn't matter who we are. At some point, all of us experience brokenness. And sometimes in life, it's not our fault. Often in times, pain we feel is not our fault. It's, it's things that happen in our life that, that we had no control of. Sometimes there's things in life that happen that, that, you know, happen to us. Stock markets crash and jobs are lost. It's not fair. Family members move on to the life hereafter and we miss them. People say mean things to us. People just say mean things sometimes and it's not because you did anything. Just sometimes people are mean and it hurts and it causes pain. And so there are plenty of times in our life where pain and brokenness come because of things you did not do. And so if there is something you're experiencing today that is brokenness in your life and is not your fault, and it's not, you know that you just, why do these things keep happening? Hear me today, for the whole past three weeks, we've been talking about the community. And in times like that, that's when we lean on the community to love on us, to let people love on us. Because we do love you. If you were here today, if you were hurting, if there's pain in your life and, and you're just like, where did this come from? This is not my fault. Things are happening. Just hear me say this. I love you. We 
love you. God loves you, and we are here for you. Lean into the community. Let us rejoice with you when you rejoice and mourn with you who mourn. But there's something else. So, so Naaman started this journey, you know, something that wasn't his fault. But the second half of the story, he seems to perpetuate the problem because of his pride. And so I think there's oftentimes in our life we have brokenness because of decisions we make. And that's, that's where confession kind of comes in. And, and I think there's times that our brokenness comes because things outside of our control, but oftentimes there's brokenness because of things we can control, because of things we choose to do. We have all made mistakes. It doesn't matter who you are, none of us are perfect. I know that because the Bible says Jesus is the only sinless one. And we have all failed. We are all at fault. In life, there are two types of decisions. There's the decisions that are in line and honor and the will of God, and those that do not. And when we make those decisions, that are not honoring to God, we call that sin. And sin is real. And unfortunately, human, humans in our humanity, we have a propensity to sin. I don't know why. I just know that we do. We tend to do things we shouldn't. Even when we know they're wrong, we still choose to do them. Temptations are strong in life. And often we willingly choose to sin knowing it's the wrong thing to do. Other times we sin just because it's ingratiated into the fabric of our culture and our decision making is so shaped by the people and the, the experience of those we're around that it just leads us to sin because who we've surrounded ourselves with, not necessarily by our own choice, but just the culture. Sometimes sin just, it's systemic. Sometimes it's corporate. So though in Naaman's story, his brokenness started out of this physical ailment, later his pride is what kept him from his, the healing he was searching for. Like Naaman, I think we all know that there's something missing and wrong in our lives. And we're all trying to find that thing that will fix it. We're all searching for something that will make us healed, that will make us whole. Naaman probably went to every doctor to try to fix him, and none of it worked. And we too have a brokenness in us. And we all seek to be made whole. We know that there's something that is not right, something that is causing us to, to want more, something des that we're desperate for, something to heal our pain. Have you ever felt that way? Tired, empty, like things aren't the way they should be. Sometimes it's because things outside of our control, but a lot of times it's because we keep choosing to do the things we shouldn't be doing. And like Naaman, we think we know that which will heal us. We think we know that which will fix us. We think we know exactly how it's supposed to work. And so we start participating in things and choosing things and taking things and doing things that we think will make us whole or healed, but in fact leave us even more broken. If I just buy that, if I just date her, if I just do this, I'll be better. I won't feel this emptiness. For me, it's being accepted. For me, it's, I, I want people to like me. I'm sorry, and I, I, this is my confession to you this morning. I wanna be a good pastor, but I also want people to think I'm a good pastor, and I struggle with that, that's my pride. I want my mentors to think I'm doing a good job. I want you to wanna hang out with me. I wanna be liked. And sometimes 
I put that before honoring God. I put my desire to be accepted. If, if you just accept me, then I'll feel good. I'll be made whole. Sometimes I make that the idol in my life. And in fact, it perpetuates my brokenness. It doesn't heal me. I love you all. And as a community, we support one another. But you can't heal me. God can heal me. And sometimes the thing God wants for us is not the thing we think we need for ourselves. Actually, I say more often than not, the thing God wants for us is not the thing we think we need for ourselves. And so what do we do when the things that we think should help us fail? More often than not, we start faking it, don't we? We start doing things we think should work and then they don't, so we just pretend like everything is okay. It's all good. How you doing today? I'm good, I'm good. I'm busy, but I'm good. We convince ourselves we're like Elisha. We're calm and cool and collected and we tell everybody else what they need to do to be healed. But really, people, we're naming, aren't we? We're the people too prideful to do the things that we know we should do. Or the people who are just lost looking for some help. The people who have no idea where to turn. We are broken and we're all sinners. We are sinners, we are sinners. Our faults, our faults, our most grievous faults. And as hard as it is to say that and to admit that, this is where confession comes in. In your bulletin, there's another scripture from James, and it'll be on the screen if you just wanna hear it with me. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is any among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous person is powerful and effective. We fear confession because it is an act of self-humility. It's humiliating to say we were wrong, to admit that we were at fault, to admit that things are wrong, to admit that things have failed, that we are inadequate, that we are not perfect, that we are sinners. It is scary. It is humiliating. Our faults and our fears, our insecurities, they they come before everything God wants for us. And often we perpetuate the things that are so wrong by trying to seek what we think is right. But what God wants from us is to repent to admit that we are sinners, to say we're not perfect. And we confess that to God. We also confess it to one another. That's what I love about our small groups and our accountability groups and and having this communion, life together is having people. You can say, you know what, I'm not perfect and I need help. I've failed and I've fallen short of the glory of God. I'm not honoring God in all that I should be doing. And so as we close this sermon, as we continue our time of worship through communion, if you're lost, if you're desperate for wholeness, like Naaman, the answer is actually more simple than you might imagine. The love of God offered in and through the life of the community, having people to journey alongside is right here. We love you. Even in your sin, we love you. And it doesn't mean you have to get up here on the stage and tell everybody all the things you've done wrong, confess your deepest, darkest secrets. 
Bonhoeffer said in his book, a confession of sin in the presence of all the members of the congregation is not required. We meet the whole congregation and the one brother or sister to whom we confess. Do you have someone in your life you can talk to? Do you have someone in your life you can lean on? If not, I'm here for you as you build that community. I'm your pastor, I'm here for you. But I pray that we can develop a community that we can just share with one another. We are struggling to tell somebody, this is hard for me to say, but I need help. I keep doing something I shouldn't be doing. I'm struggling with something I can't get rid of. There's something in my life that is burdening me. And as you consider that, and as we come to this table, there's an ancient part of our communion time together called the prayer of confession that we pray it every time we do liturgy in our traditional service, but we don't normally pray it here together. You might recognize I pray it on our behalf every time before this. I say we, I say we, and then we say amen together, so you affirm that prayer. But today as a church, I want us to pray this prayer together before we come to the table and receive what God has for us. Before we come experience the grace, let us first admit that we are not worthy. It is God who is worthy and that we need to be forgiven, that we need to admit our faults before God and one another. So the prayer will be right here on the screen behind me. We pray this with me. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors and we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.